Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 19 to 24 today as we continue our uh, work through this gospel of Matthew. From time to time in our house, Jane and I have had a, I guess it's kind of a rather morbid uh, discussion. Um, the question is raised, if we suddenly realize the house is on fire and we have to run from here, what would we grab to carry out? What would we save knowing that everything else was destined to burn? Our answer to that addresses the issue of treasures. Of all the physical things in the house, what is the greatest irreplaceable treasure? Just to not leave you hanging, because I have a reputation of telling a story and leaving you hanging, we would grab the family pictures that no one else has that are irreplaceable. But I tell you that to introduce the issue which Jesus brings up in our text this morning. What do you treasure? And in this case, the discussion is not limited to the physical things that you could carry out of the house. Let's read what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It seems there are three things the Lord is saying to us here, so we'll make it three points this morning. The first one is this. Spend your life on treasures that last. Spend your life on treasures that last. If you have good parents, they've probably taught you since you were a child that it is wiser to save your money for something that lasts, like maybe buying yourself a bicycle or something, uh, rather than to squander it a few cents at a time on buying candy. That's kind of where Jesus begins this discussion, except that he has the whole of reality in view. Let me just talk about that a minute. You see, most people have kind of a naturalistic view of reality. Reality is limited to the physical universe, which is controlled by the laws of nature, It's a giant machine, it's a closed system, which neither we nor God, if they think there is a God, could ever change. But Jesus knows that the natural world, which we can see, is only part of reality. There's also a supernatural unseen part of reality. There's a personal God who's not limited to the universe he created. And there's God's plan, which he is always working, whether we see it going on or not. This supernatural realm is as real as the natural realm. And, uh, to, to acknowledge one but not the other is to have a, a distorted view of reality. Now, you see, if there's only a naturalistic world, 
then what our parents taught us would still be the whole truth when we grow up. Don't squander your life on meaningless things, but invest it in things more lasting. Only now it would be not just be bicycles instead of candy, but it would be real estate and business enterprises and stock portfolios rather than partying and buying a house full of meaningless trinkets. But knowing that reality is more than just the naturalistic world, Jesus presses us further. He makes a distinction between earthly treasures and heavenly or eternal treasures, between the things most valuable given a naturalistic understanding of reality and the things most valuable considering all of reality in both the natural and supernatural realm. Jesus exhorts us to spend our life on treasures that last forever. So what exactly is Jesus telling us here? Well, let me just say up front, he's not condemning or prohibiting things that the Bible uh, approves of elsewhere. So Jesus is not speaking against owning any possessions. The Bible clearly speaks about uh, private ownership of property and possessions. It's not an evil thing. He's not speaking against saving for the future to provide for your family. Remember the proverb that says, look at the ant, the industrious ant who stores up in time of harvest. Nor is Jesus forbidding us enjoying good things. He he tells us that God has given us all kinds of good things to enjoy uh, with gratitude, as blessings from him. You see, those things are not inherently evil. But Jesus says, they just don't last. They all erode. The Greek word translated rust literally means eating. So moths and rust and thieves all do the same thing. They eat up our earthly treasures. To get more specific, money gets eaten up by inflation. Stock erodes when the bottom drops out of the market. Political power comes to nothing when the tide of public opinion changes. Clothing, automobiles, change styles, they suddenly aren't worth so much. Houses eventually rot and leak, get old. Even the things that endure the longest are left behind when we die. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. And on judgment day, every earthly treasure will perish. So instead of those treasures for which the world spends all that it has, Jesus calls us to the pursuit during this life, the pursuit of treasures which last forever. He's saying his followers must live in light of the whole of reality with its supernaturalistic view. In that light, everything takes on a different perspective. Material wealth is not just an end in itself limited to things in this world. It can be exchanged into the currency of a supernatural reality so that it can endure as treasures of eternal value. And what are those eternal values which we need to pursue? Our salvation from God's wrath, holiness which fits us for eternal life, service in Christ's kingdom, building his church which will last forever, 
bringing many people into the reality of eternal life, bringing every earthly thought into conformity to Christ so that he, his glory is manifested here on earth and in heaven and everywhere and for all time. Folks, we all have resources, you see. Every one of us has 24 hours a day. We have a life that spans several decades. We have an assortment of abilities. And we have at least some wealth. It may be meager, it may be great, we have something. So what are we doing with our resources? Every day we spend some of them. On what? Are we building an estate to leave as we leave behind as we go naked into eternity? Or are we investing our resources into the building of Christ's eternal kingdom, into the preparation of ourselves and others for eternal life, into the bringing of our families and others that we know into that eternal life with us? Jesus calls us to spend our lives on treasures that will last forever. Then there's a second point that follows right on to that. And that is your treasure controls your thinking. Your treasures control your thinking. You know, there are endless little truisms and rules of thumb or sometimes called Murphy's Law which uh, in simple, homey ways uh, state some profound truth. You know a lot of these, and so do I. One of my favorite of such things, and one that's appropriate for our study this morning, is this little truism. You don't own your stuff. Your stuff owns you. Jesus said it a little differently. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If you ever lived for even a little while especially if you live for a few decades, you know how true this is. When you see someone buy a new RV or a boat or a vacation home, even while you are admiring it with them and honestly, honestly rejoicing with them in this treasure that they've come by, doesn't some part of you inside say, oh, you poor thing, you will come to regret this day. You know what they say about boat owners? Two happiest days, the day they buy the boat and the day they finally get rid of the thing. Why is this? Because even your most precious treasures take over your thinking. You have to learn how to take care of them. You have to remember to do the maintenance on them. You have to protect them from greedy thieves. You have to buy insurance on them. Perhaps you even have to build a new building to house them. And before long, your thinking and your heart gets treasure fixation. You become consumed with your treasure. It's all you can think about. It controls your head. Verse 22 and 23, Jesus illustrates this by this obsession by speaking about the eye. Your eyes are designed to let light in so you can really see clearly. But if you start to grow cataracts, as you know I have recently, the light slowly starts going out. You can see reality less and less clearly. So Jesus says that your earthly possessions become like cataracts. 
The more treasure you gather for yourself, the less clearly you see all of reality. The less clearly you see God, the less clearly you see the needs of those around you, the less clearly you see the brevity of life on this earth, the less clearly you see the unmet needs of God's kingdom. Your treasures affect your thinking. John Stott describes this well. You, you see the danger Jesus is warning about here is the reality we all see around us. Once our spiritual vision is compromised or clouded by a commitment to earthly treasures, that distortion fills our whole soul and adversely affects everything in our lives. Marriages and families are ruined. Moral standards are compromised. Everything becomes distorted. Sound familiar? We live in the midst of a culture where we have more material treasures than anybody before us or or elsewhere. But this is how people live, isn't it? Their minds screwed up by their earthly treasures. Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Your treasure will affect your thinking. Which brings us to our last point. You can only serve one God. You can only serve one God. In older translations, verse 24 says, you cannot serve God and mammon. So what is mammon? Giant prehistoric animal, right? No, that's a mammoth. (laughs) Mammon is actually a transliteration. It's just the letters put into another language. A transliteration of the Aramaic word for wealth. Originally, it was from the Hebrew word to entrust, but it later uh, came to uh, change the meaning to to uh, 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 to place in someone's keeping or place in someone's trust. And so, Mammon became the god of material possessions. Our modern translations are pretty accurate to simply translate it money. You cannot serve God and money, which is the God of so many in our culture. So why does Jesus say it's impossible to serve God and money? I know, not a lot, but a few pretty wealthy people who are devout Christians. And actually, God never says that none of his people will be rich. The Bible gives us several examples of people that God made rich. Count up Abraham's assets sometimes. He was a rich man. Read what's said of Job's, of Job, with his uh, flocks and his cattle and his, and his houses. And he was a rich, rich man. And so we all, in spite of what Jesus says, we all kind of tend to hold on to the notion that there really is an exception. We can, we really can serve God in our money, both. No, you can't. No, you can't. God sometimes gives wealth to those who serve him. But it is still absolutely true that you cannot serve two gods. 
You cannot serve your God and your money. You cannot. Stott explains, either they serve God on Sundays and mammon on weekdays, or God with their life and mammon with their hearts, or God in appearance and mammon in reality. But you see, God demands absolute allegiance. And such allegiance cannot be given to two gods at the same time. So Stott concludes, anybody who divides his allegiance between God and mammon has already given it to mammon, since God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. This is simply because he is God. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. To try to share him with other loyalties is to have already opted for idolatry. Martin Lord Jones, who's written perhaps the most exhaustive work on the Sermon on the Mount, tells a story about divided loyalties that I thought I would pass on. It's a story of a farmer who one day went out with great joy in his heart to report to his wife and family that their very best cow had given birth to twin calves, one black or one red and one white. And he said, you know, he said to his wife, you know, I, I suddenly have this feeling that we need to dedicate one of those calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together, and when the time comes, we'll sell them, and the proceeds of the one will go to the Lord. The farmer's wife asked him which one he's going to dedicate to the Lord. He said, well, it doesn't really matter. We're going to raise them exactly the same, but when the time comes, we'll just do that. A few months later, the man entered his kitchen looking very miserable and unhappy. His wife asked him what was troubling him. And he answered, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf died. (laughs) Lord Jones concludes, we may laugh at that story, but God forbid that we should be laughing at ourselves. For when the issue is between what is God's and what is mine, It's always the Lord's calf that dies. But you cannot serve God and money. Do you remember the account of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told that man, you go sell everything you have. It's a rich man. You go sell everything you have and give the money to the poor, and then you come and follow me. Jesus wasn't kidding. Either the man would recognize Jesus' lordship and abandon every other thing, every other treasure that he had, and follow Christ, or he could never have eternal life. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Are you willing to do that? For the sake of eternal life, the ultimate heavenly treasure, 
Are you willing to give away everything you own and simply follow Christ? If you're unwilling, Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. You can't be my disciple. You cannot have eternal life. For you cannot serve God and mammon. Oh, when you follow him on those terms, he may take some of that and give it back to you and say, here, you hold on to this and use it for my glory. Or he may not. That's his business, not yours. Now, you may think, that's asking quite a lot, actually. But don't you know that Jesus paid just such an absolute price for your salvation? In glory, he was richer than you or anyone you know or everyone you know together. And he laid aside his glory. He laid aside his riches. And he became a man. And he suffered. And he was poor. And he died the death of a criminal on the cross. All for our sin. But God raised him from the dead, and now he calls us to follow him in the same absolute terms that he came to save us. Not asking us to do something he hasn't done. So, where will we lay up treasures? In heaven or on earth? And will we fix our eyes and our hearts on God's glory, or will we be blinded by our earthly treasure and will we abandon every other god to follow him or try to do the impossible to share our allegiance between two gods at once today he calls us in the bluntest of terms whom will you serve the gods of materialism and the success of our day or the living god who made you and sent his son to save you As Joshua said to Israel in ancient times, choose you this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.